Well, good morning. Well, that was absolutely excellent. It is good to be back with you. I, I, I so appreciate the opportunity to travel last week, went to Upper Michigan to be able to be a part of uh, a dear friend that I served with for over 10 years in ministry uh, for his wedding. And it was a great time to be there, but I got a little bit of a perspective uh, altering that took place. For one, it was unique to hear people complain about it being 80 degrees. That was a new switch that I wasn't accustomed to. But also, I had another perspective change that happened in my life. I have complained, to be honest, confession time. I have complained about our mosquitoes here in Texas a lot. And I'm pretty sure that our mosquitoes could ride their mosquitoes like a horse. They were huge. It was unbelievable. Uh, but it is good to be back home uh, and to be with you here this morning. And I, and I so appreciate Zach as well, uh, doing a great job beginning this series that we've titled Nature in Nurture. Our nature as disciples of Christ is that we are to be a people who are about the business of making disciples in all that we do. We are a people who are in the business, to the glory of God, to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so beginning this morning and for the next three weeks after this, we're going to discuss how we as a church desire to do that. If you look at the front of your bulletin, if you have your bulletin, I'd encourage you to look at that real quickly. And you'll see what is our mission and vision statement, very well crafted by our elders over the past year. This has been on your bulletin for, for, for many months now. This says, we exist to glorify God by making disciples. And you can imagine right after that statement, imagine being asked the question, well, how do you propose we do that? And here is the response as it continues on, through a devotion to the word. That's what we're talking about this morning. What does that look like for us? Through gospel-centered worship, that's what we're going to look at next week. Through sacrificial service, two weeks. And, and then finally, we'll discuss building community as a family, being renewed by the power of Christ's love. And so each of these next four Sundays, including today, we're going to unpack each of these particular elements as we are a people that are characterized by a commitment, a devotion to the Word of God, a Christ-centered worship, sacrificial service, and, and ultimately exercising the one another's of the Word of God together as a family, as a family. Uh, and, and that's going to be a beautiful time together. But as you have your Bibles, I'd like for you already to look over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, well, we're going to explore this, and I'll, I'll set it up for us here in just a little bit. But we can't be a people that are committed to the Word unless we're also, by default, a people committed to purity. The Word and purity are, are used almost synonymously. At the very beginning of our text this morning that we're going to look at, there is this understanding that if we are committed to the Word, purity will be a default to that. It will, it, it's a buy one, get one free. As a people committed to the Word, we will be a people committed to purity as we chase after purity in our lives. And that was one of the beautiful elements of the wedding last week. The bride comes dressed in white, representing a commitment of purity being given over to his groom. And we know how that very institution demonstrates Jesus Christ and his church, the bride, that he has washed us. If you're a Christian, you've been washed. You're pure. That's who you truly are. And then we're called as adopted believers to live out a lifestyle of purity in our relationships and our responsibilities and all that is entailed in those. But as you look at the, the 119th Psalms, we discuss how do we chase purity? How do we go about as a church family and as individuals chasing after a pure life to the glory of God 
imitating our King, Jesus Christ, who has already made us legally pure, but how do we live out a functionally pure life on a day-to-day basis? So Psalm 119 is absolutely incredible. If you if you have your Bible open, well, I'm going to kind of skim through there and give you some incredible background. Of course, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Fun fact, Psalm 117 is one of the shortest chapters in the Bible. So young people, if you want to impress uh, your parents, you can just say, I memorized a whole psalm today. Probably easier to go with Psalm 117 than Psalm 119. Uh, but this is an unbelievable chapter. The parallelism is incredible. There's 22 different sections of eight verses in this 119th Psalm. And each of them begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So much so, of course, this is translated into English for us, but every one of those eight verses in each of those little segments begins with that letter. So Aleph, all of those begin with A in Hebrew. Then Beth, what we're going to look at now in our time focusing, all of those in Hebrew begin with B. And in this text, we see 10 different specific ways that the Word of God is referred. It's it's called the law, the way, the testimony, precepts, statute, commandments, judgment, words, saying, and truth. The beauty of Psalm 119 is unbelievable. It's been called the alphabet of divine love. Mm Mm-mm, good. That's Campbell's soup. That's not right. The paradise of all the doctrines, the storehouse of the Holy Spirit, the school of truth, and the deep mystery of all the scriptures. You're probably familiar with a man named Matthew Henry. His commentaries are, are, are quite popular and famous. You can access them actually free online usually as well. And Matthew Henry as a boy, his parents, uh, his father would have him as a family. They would read in the morning and meditate on one verse of this Psalm 119 every morning. So at the end of the year, they would have gone through Psalm 119 on two occasions. Pastor Henry would go to influence thousands upon thousands of people, but he would say it was this particular psalm that God used to inflame in him a love of God's word, the 119th psalm. So church family, as we go to this psalm, may we discover these principles as a people committed to the word of God that desire a pure life in all ways. As we do this, we discover two principles. The first of this, you'll see in in verse 9 as we begin, 9 and 10, that those who desire purity, they grasp the words diagnosis of our human nature. If you and I are ultimately to grasp what the word calls us to do, to desire to be a pure people, you and I have to have an honest conversations with ourselves because the word says that you and I, we require supervision. We all do. Obviously, we know the children do. Matter of fact, we would be pretty distraught if we found out that there were no workers over there. Boy, by the way, did you know that, I was interested to find this out, we have about, on any given Sunday, 30 adults give their time to serve over there, to love on and train our children from the youngest of ages uh, all the way up to, to, to fifth grade. And that is a beautiful thing that those individuals are sacrificing, trying to invest in these children right now, a love of the Word of God. So when you see them, and if you do serve, I want to thank you uh, for doing that. Thank you so much for serving and investing in them as we desire to have uh, a commitment to the Word of God. But we would be distraught if we found out there was no supervision. Well, the Bible tells us that you and I, we never graduate from requiring supervision. Let's look first in verse 9. A question is asked in verse 9. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer comes by guarding it according to your word. How can a young man keep their way pure by guarding it according to your word? 
Now, young men are, are, are typically seen as those that, that are the most reckless, the most uh, privy to temptation. But in the Psalms, on a consistent basis, the Psalm writers use a language to say children or young people referring to all of us needing to be watched over. We see this in Psalm 34 and in several other occasions. But we use the most extreme example here. How, how can a young man, how can a young person so overwhelmed with temptation, how can they keep their way pure? How can a teenager keep their way pure in a world of temptation? And all the parents said, that was definitely not what I hoped would happen. There's supposed to be like a resounding parents of teenagers. I hear teenagers are, uh, at least they used to be, tempted, but I guess we've graduated from that. That's great news. That's incredible. That changes everything. Uh, no, let's do it again. So, so all, the, all the parents of the teenagers said, all right, that's better. Very good. So how can a young person keep their way pure? Well, he gives us the answer to it in the very next statement. What's it say? By guarding it according to your word, the word of God. Now, the ESV says guarding it. The King James says taking heed, heeding the word of God. Or the New American says keeping it. The idea is that we're living according to what the word of God tells us to do. The greatest GPS system is worthless if we don't listen to it. The Word of God is of incredible value. It will not return void, but it is meant to be the supervisory role. When you and I drive around with our GPSs on our car, it's supervising us, isn't it? Rerouting. Rerouting. That's the role that the Word of God is to play in our lives. Because you and I require supervision. We don't graduate from that. Now, I know some of you in here are too good for GPSs. I'm not going to point fingers, but I'm sure some of you, uh, you probably know who you are. If you don't, then you're probably that person. You're thinking, I, don't, I know a better way to get around. And that's the tendency of our heart in life, isn't it? We have a tendency to walk through life thinking, I know God's Word says this, but I know a better way. The Word says, you and I, if we desire to chase after purity, to be a people committed to the Word, we have to be honest with ourselves that we require Supervision. The Word of God says we require supervision, and also in verse 10, that we are prone to wander. You and I are prone to wander. Look at verse 10. The psalmist writes, he says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What's he say? I seek you. He seeks the Lord. He has a particular drive in which he's moving forward. He's not running quickly in a circle. He's moving quickly and passionately in one direction. He says, I seek you, the Lord. He has this understanding of who he is. The directions and pressures in life change consistently, don't they? Popular opinion, none of us can keep up with the news. Every week, positions seem to change. And yet the word of God, it will endure. And so if you and I, as the people of God, set our lives upon the word of God, we will move in a consistent direction over time. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Our desire isn't simply for purity as purity being the ends. Our desire is to be, catch this, our desire is to be Christ-like. That's our desire as a church as we seek to be making disciples. Our desire is to be like our king. Christians, little Christs. So we pursue purity by ultimately pursuing Christ-likeness. And this is the drive of the text that he says. He says, how, how do we do that then? How do we pursue the Lord? He tells us in the psalm. With what? With my whole heart. With my whole heart. And again, when we speak of heart, 
We usually talk about our emotions, right? My heart's just not feeling it. We even say that as a saying. If not, I just made it up and go with it, all right? We use oftentimes our heart to speak of our emotional feelings, but in, in the Psalms, oftentimes heart refers to the center of your being. So it's to include your intellect, your logic, your studiousness, your energy, your body, and your emotions. And the psalm writer says, Lord, with my whole heart, I seek you. You and I live in a world filled with distractions on a daily basis, don't we? This can be one of them right here. Have you ever gotten coffee or lunch with somebody? And I've been guilty of this, so I'm not pointing fingers, but have you ever had a conversation with somebody or gotten coffee with them and they put out their phone and they put it right there on the table with you? Doesn't part of you, even if we're not looking at it, doesn't part of you feel like they're not quite entirely engaged? The psalm writer here says, with my whole heart. I know my distractions, I'm putting them away. With my whole heart, Lord, I seek you. With my whole heart, I seek you. Maybe we be a body that seeks the Lord with our whole hearts consistently. And here's the beauty of that. He's given us a community to live as disciples and to make disciples. So we need each other to remind us, oh, Brent, you're, you're straying a little bit, or Brent, you seem to be kind of slothing off in your walk with the Lord. How are you doing? That's the beauty of this. As we desire to be a people committed to the word of God, it gives us the authority to speak into each other's lives when we see that we're not pursuing the Lord with our whole heart. So first, we've seen that those who desire purity, they have a healthy understanding of the nature of man. And now secondly, those who desire purity are growing in their happiness in the word. Now, I chose to get a little creative, which can be a little different uh, and dangerous. I'll try not to do that too much to you. But I saw the parallelism of Psalm 119, and it's incredible. Remember, we talked about that. I encourage you, spend time just reading through it this week. Work through Psalm 119 this week. We'll be in Isaiah 6 next week, so I encourage you to read that as well. So I wanted to give us kind of a helpful acronym, if you will, a way to maybe remember the nature of the word by using the word happy. So these descriptors, as we walk through the rest of Psalm 119b, remember that we're called to be happy in the Word. Our life will not be running accurately as it should through the storms and seasons of all of life that will come to each of us as a church family unless we're happy in the Word. The Word of God, we're meant to be happy in. First, we see that H, the Word is meant to be hoarded. The Word is meant to be hoarded. Look at verse 11. The psalm writer says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. The word stored here means to be treasured up. The idea is gathering more and more and more. Treasuring it. Now the Israelites stored up manna, didn't they? They were supposed to just go out daily and collect it, but what did they want to do? They wanted to go and to, to gather it, to hoard it. And what happened to it? Do you remember? It began to turn disgusting. It began to mold and, and, and just be corrupted. It's the same word. It's the same idea in the text. But the word of God here, it's meant to be treasured up. It's meant to be hoarded in our lives. We can't get enough of it. If we hoard the word of God, it's not going to spoil. It's not going to break us. It's not going to ruin us. It's not going to lead us astray. It's not going to turn sour. The word of God will convict us. The Spirit of God will use the God-breathed Word to comfort us in ways that others simply cannot quite do. 
He leads us, he, he drives us, he, he leads us in the way that we should go according to his word. That's why I'm not ashamed to be a part of a church family called Grace Bible Church. We are a people of the word of God and we should embrace that in all reality. In a world of relatives, like relatives, not consistent, not like your family, but in a world of relatives, we are committed to the consistent God-breathed word. And we say that with joy and with pride in our lives, that, that God may increase our hunger of the word. Now, I'm not just talking about memorizing the word. So I, I want to give you a second. You can keep this spot marked in your Bible, but flip over to John chapter 5. If we truly are hoarding the word of God, if we're truly storing up the word of God in our lives, there will be a natural result. There will be a natural result. So if you grew up going to church, memorizing the scriptures, reading the Bible, here's the natural result. If you truly are hoarding it, here's what will happen. Look in John chapter 5. Jesus has this interaction. We're going to read 37 through 40. John chapter 5, 37 through 40. We're going to key in on verse 38 because Jesus alludes to the verse we just read here in verse 11 in Psalm 119 and his interaction with the Pharisees. And let me catch you up a little bit. Jesus goes and, and he is interacting and he's healing on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees use this as an accusation against him, that he's committed blasphemy. They, they know that by doing this, Jesus is claiming to be God. So they accuse him of blasphemy. What's blasphemy? It's taking the things of God or taking God and making him common like a person. And so they see Jesus claiming to be God and what do they accuse him of? Blasphemy. Jesus is claiming to be God. He is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. And the Pharisees know what he's doing and they accuse him of blasphemy. That's why when we use the Lord's name in vain, blasphemy, it's because we're taking God's name and we're making it common or profane. The Pharisees make this accusation to Jesus and look what Jesus says. This is incredible. Verse 37 through 40. He said, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. That's a bold statement because he's talking to people that would have memorized very possibly the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus tells them, No, 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 you never heard from the Father. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. There it is, that's our verse. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and in it they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Christian life is not simply about learning this book. But if we truly have hoarded the word of God, which is what we're all called to do, to learn the word of God and to live it out, that's what our groups are designed around. That's why we, I encourage you, and, and you'll hear this consistently, to, to, to find yourself, to get involved with a group in grace, to learn the word and to live the word. But here's the deal, what Jesus says, if we truly understand the word, we will truly embrace Jesus as our king. So he's able to look at these Pharisees who had memorized more scripture than I could ever imagine he looks him in the face. He said, no, no, no. You don't know the word. Because if you did, you'd know me. As a people of grace committed to the word, 
we're by nature committed to Christ. By being committed to Christ, we're committed to purity in our lifestyle. So, so the word is meant to be hoarded, but also the word is meant to be accepted. Accepted. Verse 12 says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. He says, teach me your statutes. The person that desires a pure life is willing to be taught. They are teaching. Now, listen, they're, they're, they're teachable. They're discerning, but they're teachable. It's an important distinction, isn't it? We want to qualify that. We're, we're teachable, but we want to be discerning. The things that we hear in, in, in life, we want to have a desire to hear from the word of the Lord. But the messengers who bring us the word of the Lord, we want to be discerning. We want to check all things, like the Bereans, by the word of God. And this is deeply important for every one of us if we're, if we're to understand what this actually means. We're to be people who, who accept the word of God, but we're to check the messengers that bring it to us. So you're not supposed to just even believe this because I'm teaching this to you. You're to filter it, the word, the word of God. Now, as elders and, and pastors at Grace, we take very seriously honoring the text and being in its context. But it says in Galatians, if, if even an angel of the Lord comes and preaches you a different gospel, let them be accursed. See, we are a people of the book. People unashamed to stand on the Word of God, to learn it and to live it. The Word of God is meant to be accepted. So you and I, in our hearts, if there's parts of the Bible that make you uncomfortable, embrace it, be teachable. All of the Scriptures are inspired and equally God-breathed. The red-letter edition of the Bible is great. It's very helpful to see it. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking that the red letters are more inspired than, uh, than any other letter in the book. That the book of Revelation is better than the book of Numbers. All Scripture is God-breathed and is sufficient for us to equip the man of God for every good work. All of us. So we are people of the Word. Our, our desire in our hearts is that we would have and develop a desire to accept the Word of God. And thirdly this, so, so, so we're ultimately to hoard the Word, to accept the Word, and His Word, thirdly, is meant to be proclaimed. His Word is meant to be proclaimed. Verse 13 with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. So notice what's happened. The psalm writer says, I want to hoard your word. I want to take it in. He accepts it. And then what's it do when it makes itself out? Inevitably, just like if we took a big pitcher of water and started filling that baby up, eventually what's going to happen? Not quite sure that's the noise that it makes when it comes out, but, but it's going to flow out of the top. You know what I'm saying? It's going to come out. And that's what's happening with the psalm writer. He's consuming the word of God so much that it's boiling up in his heart and it's spilling out of his mouth. Not all of us are going to be called to be teachers in a formal sense, but all of us, listen, all of us are called to be able to speak the word of God with others. All of us. There's no exception. We're all called to be growing in the word of God so that we're confident to be able to Relay it on to others. We're simply witnesses. There is no court scene, if you will, where we're, we're super distraught, where we're called to be witnesses of the testimonies of God. You don't really have to prepare for that. Now, maybe your lawyer would. I don't know that terminology. But, but you're simply saying, what did you see? What happened? And you're trying to give an account about what you saw and what happened. As a Christian, as a student of the Word, as a church family, we're giving an account of 
the testimony of the power of the word of the Lord on a daily basis. And this is a miraculous event. Just like in Ezekiel 37, and we sang about it just a few minutes ago as Stephen helped to lead us, that these bones that were once dry bones, they're now clothed and they're singing the praises of our king. We were once enemies of God, and now we're the children of God. We were once thinking about anything of the flesh and anything of the world, but here we now are as a multi-generational body singing the praises of our king. What a miraculous testimony of transformation. And so, husbands or any of us, when, when we go at a point in life and we begin to change, doesn't mean we're perfect, but one of the most influential aspects I ever saw of my own father living out his faith, he was a carpenter. He's still a carpenter, doesn't do quite too much anymore, but I helped him in middle school. And don't ask me because I didn't learn any employable skills with that, but I was really good at climbing onto to high spaces and crawling in tight spaces. That was kind of my skill set. And lifting heavy objects, those are my three traits. Uh, so if you need those things, don't call me either. Right. No, just joking. But that's what I would do when I was a kind of a taller kid as a middle schooler. And so my father, he, uh, he, he lashed out at me one time because he was asking for a certain kind of wrench and I'd go to the toolbox and there was like 97 of these tools that it could have been. I came back like five times grabbing the wrong thing. I mean, I'm talking, I'm grabbing like handfuls of tools. He's like, nope. And eventually he's like, ah, forget it. And he gets dumb doing what he's doing and he goes and he grabs it and he comes back. And he knew he overstepped the bound. And my feelings were hurt as well. And when we got home, my, my dad said, he said, Brent, I'll never forget it. It was in middle school. He said, Brent, listen, that was wrong what I did. That's not what the Lord wanted. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And that moment as a middle schooler, I saw my dad's faith lived out. It was a testimony of the word of God in his life right after he had been harsh to his son. The call to come to Christ isn't a call to be perfect. It's a call to trust in the perfect one who you and I are then speaking about in our lifestyles and how we do relationships and responsibilities because he's worthy of our lives. May the Lord give us faith to do those things. His word is meant to be hoarded, accepted, proclaimed, and prized. By the way, this acronym will be on the final at the end of the year, so make sure and study appropriately. The word is meant to be prized. Verse 14 and 15. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. One of the greatest evidences of a regenerated heart. Now, that's a word we use. Just think of it like a generator. If your power goes out, what's the, what's the generator do? Kicks in, and what happens to the lights that were off? What do they do? They, they come on. So regeneration, a work of, of the Spirit. We see right there with confession of faith and trusting in Christ, one of the evidences of a regenerated heart, a heart that's gone from death to life, is that there begins to become a prizing of the Word of God in our lives. We begin to acquire a taste for the things of God. The Word of God is meant to be prized. Now notice, I, I didn't say here, 
that we, we have a feeling that says, I want to be in the Word more and more. Our feelings can be seasonal, can't they? Our feelings can be based upon what was your last meal, right? Your day can shift based on what you have for lunch today. So it's not your feelings, but it's what do you prize? What do you delight in? So it doesn't mean automatically when you wake up, you just have this burning desire at five in the morning to get up and just study the Word of God, and that's just natural and easy peasy for you. But it does mean when you do so, your word, your heart, what's it begin to do? It delights. It prizes the word. So when you hear the word, it resonates with your heart. doesn't mean it's always going to make you feel good, but it makes you feel this is right. This is hard, but this is right. Because you're prizing it. It's a, it's a gift of God that it begins to work in our lives. And we're unashamed of this reality. We, be, we, we meditate on the things we delight in. Find a man, this is a natural response in our human nature. Think about it. Find a man who loves cars and, be, and bring up cars and watch him go. Right? Find a kid that, that enjoys a particular musician or, or social media person and bring him up and watch that kid go wild. Find a woman who enjoys less is more sometimes. I'm just going to stop and <laughs> let that one simmer. You can fill in the blank there. This is... Right, Sarah? Good choice. Stop. She's just looking at me. No, that's right. That's a bad choice. No, but the idea is what do we do? Things that we prize, we delight in them, and we meditate on them. So if you're at a point in your faith where you're feeling kind of slothful, build the discipline to begin to prize the Word. What's that mean? Put time in the Word. Continue to prioritize time with your church family. Prioritize the word in your home. Listen to it. If you're not a reader, there are so many great apps out there for free that you can listen to the Bible in audio form. It's great. But begin to prize the word with your time and your commitments. Begin to try to memorize little pieces of the word, one verse at a time. Begin to prize it, and that will begin to jumpstart what you meditate on and therein what you delight in. It becomes this beautiful cycle of prizing the word of the Lord. The word of God is meant to be hoarded, accepted, proclaimed, prized, and fifthly, it's meant to be a yoke. The word of God is meant to be a yoke for us. Not an egg yoke, but the kind of yoke that, that they had in the early centuries, and even still some places have yokes for animals, right? You drive by Mennonites or Amish, you'll see yokes out there around the animals, and that yoke is two crossbeams, and it binds the animal to the cart to do a particular purpose. Look what he says in verse 16. See, the Word of God is meant to be a yoke. It says, I will delight in your statutes. And what's, how's he finish it? I will not forget your word. You and I will, would not forget a yoke around our neck. Wouldn't be able to. Now, how can, how can I use such imagery? How can we pretend that a yoke can be a positive thing. Well, Jesus says it can be. Not only does he say it can be, but he says it is if you take his yoke. You see, all of us, every one of us in this room and outside of this room, every one of us has a yoke around our necks. We either have the yoke of sin, guilt, shame, and a reality of impeding death that comes with every breath that passes. You have a yoke upon you regardless of what you argue, and you know it. 
Some of you have a yoke of thinking, if I earn, if I try to be good enough, maybe I'll get to heaven. Jesus says that yoke is heavy. But what's he tells disciples and others? Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is, is gentle and lowly, uh, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden it is light. See, Christ came, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He laid his life down on the cross for us. He took the yoke that we deserve on the cross. He's the only one that's qualified to sufficiently pay the debt of our sins against a holy and just God. He laid down his life in obedience to the Father. The Lord was pleased to look on him and to crush him, to fulfill all the scriptures. He defeated death and he arose from the grave. And anyone, no matter who you are, what you've done, or your age, you can take on the yoke of Christ and trust yourself to him, the one who paid for all your guilt and shame and sin. His yoke is good. The word of God is meant to be a yoke. May the Lord do a work in our heart. This ultimately leads us into this understanding and this conclusion that our next steps, what are our next steps? This is our next steps. Now, I want you to notice, if you would pull out your bulletin that you saw at the very beginning, and there's that description statement. And again, what I said is this is, we're, we're trying to give us a more clear target of explaining what does it mean to be a people that are devoted to the word. And this statement really, I think, synthesizes, it summarizes for us what's it mean, a more clear target that you and I can hit in our lives to be a people functionally committed to the word so that our ministries are moving in one direction. Our lives as a church family, our services are moving in this direction of being a people committed to the word and you'll see this, and these statements, as we walk through here, will make it onto the front of our bulletins, not at all editing our mission and vision statement, but clarifying further, what does it mean to be a people at Grace Bible Church who are committed to the Word? Look at this description. Our next steps. At Grace Bible Church, our ministries and services, they are committed to faithfully resting in the authority and sufficiency of the Bible. The Bible, the Word of God, is sufficient for us. It's sufficient for us in all things, life, deed, practice, and truth. It's sufficient. Through the storms and seasons of life, the Word of God is sufficient for us to build our lives upon it, to build our marriages, our friendships, our relationships upon it. So we desire, here it is, for every Christian at Grace to connect to at least one group at Grace. It could be anything, a small group, a women's group, a men's group, a prayer group, a Sunday school class, any of these areas that we can be committed to give accountability to, to be learning and living the Word of God. Because if we're not connected to groups and the storms of life hit us, what will happen? Just like a current, we begin to drift, don't we? Have you ever been there? Maybe it's possible some of you have been there for the last several months or years of your life. You got busy in your life, you were not tethered to a group of believers, and you began to drift. And a crisis or a death or a sickness hit you, and you had no one that was tethered around your life to see how you're doing. And before you know it, weeks became months, and months became years, because you drifted. 
because you didn't have a group. It was learning the word with you and loving you as you sought to patiently live it out in your life. We believe that is a healthy component to being and making disciples of Jesus Christ at Grace Bible Church. Now, Psalm 119 is not a solo endeavor. One of my favorite quotes by a man named Charles Spurgeon is he said, take heart, for even the, even the snail made it to the ark. Tug by tug. The Christian faith is lived tug by tug together for the glory of God, making disciples of Jesus Christ. May the Lord give us faith to trust his word. Would you pray with me before we sing together an offering to the Lord? Well, Father God, you are good. You are good. The seasons of life represented in this room, Father, we can say ab abundantly and unashamedly that you are good. But God, very honestly, we wrestle in our own lives about trusting your word sometimes, and we know that's wrong. We know your word is true. But God, we pray and we ask as a body that you would give us faith in the areas where we are struggling to live our lives for your glory and your goodness. We pray, God, that we would be a people more and more identified and building our lives upon your word. We pray, God, that Christ would be glorified in all that we do. We pray, Lord, that we would abide in the spirit whom you've given us, who indwells us as your church. We pray likewise that your spirit would minister, that you would convict in appropriate ways, that your word we know it will not return void. And so as your church, we pray, God, that you would encourage us this week, you would edify us, you would build us up in your word this week. And Lord, we know that our time together is a preparation time as we go out into the world to live the life you've called us to live for your glory and your goodness as we be and make disciples for the glory of God. We love you. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. And all God's people said together, amen.